series of messages that we're calling Christmas Mixtape. And we're going to be talking about some of the original songs of Christmas, okay? All the way back to uh, the Bible and the birth of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter number one. And let's start reading in verse number 67. If you're ready to dive in today, would you say ready? Verse number 67, the Bible says this. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he prophesied, saying, he started to sing this song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Verse number 70, and as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which we have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised, everybody say promised, to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness before him all the days of our life. Today, I wanna bring a message just for a few minutes this morning that I'm calling desperate for a sunrise. Desperate for a sunrise. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, for this opportunity to come together to worship you, to look to your word for instruction, guidance, and hope in this day in which we live. Lord, thank you for what you did in our early service at nine o'clock and how you spoke to us in a great way. And God, I pray that you would speak to us in a great way through your word this morning at the 11 o'clock service. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that is hurting and broken, I pray that they would find hope in your word and healing in your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, how many of you truly enjoy Christmas music? Anybody like that? You truly enjoy it? How many of you are like, I don't know, I could go without it. Anybody like that? I was reading recently, Spotify did their top list of all-time Christmas music. And number one on Spotify's list of the most played Christmas music, number one is all I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. That's, that's number one. Now, in the top five, there were some other ones. There was Mistletoe by Justin Bieber. Any believers in the house today? Some of you are like, please no. Another one uh, on the list was All I, or It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas, Michael Buble. Okay, uh, that, was, that was in the top five. And uh, the list goes on and on. And there are many uh, songs that are uh, popular in current culture uh, that have to do with Christmas. But this morning, we're going to go back all the way to the original soundtrack of Christmas, okay, surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And I love that the birth of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story, really has so many songs that are infused into the narrative, uh, so many songs surrounding the birth of Christ. And I believe that music is a powerful thing, and that music is an important thing. In fact, Martin Luther, he said this, Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents that God has given us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul is writing to a church at Ephesus, and he said this. He said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so I think it's a great thing, especially in this Christmas season, 
I would encourage you to fill your heart and to fill your home with uplifting music that can speak life into your soul. By the way, when you really pause and consider how great God is and how good God has been to us, and when you really pause to consider the meaning of the Christmas story and that God sent his son to deliver us from sin, to give us a home in heaven, really the only appropriate response is to praise him for he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And so that should be the natural outflowing of our heart and spirit to praise him. He's worthy of our praise. And so today we're going to look at one of the original songs of Christmas written by a man named Zachariah. Now, this song that Zachariah wrote came at just the right moment. This was a time of darkness. It was a time of discouragement and devastation. It had been 400 years since God had last spoken by a prophet. And so there was 400 years of darkness, 400 years of waiting for the Messiah and waiting for God to speak again. This was a dark time. In fact, the last prophet that spoke in the Old Testament, his name was Malachi. In one of his last prophecies concerning the coming Messiah in Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2, he said this. He said this. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness, the son, S-U-N, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And so I love this prophecy from Malachi. He says, when the Messiah will come, it will be like a sunrise with healing in its wings. Malachi says, I know that it's going to be a dark time. I know there's going to be adversity. I know there's going to be difficulty, and it's going to feel like you're navigating the night. But just know that when the Messiah arrives, it will be a sunrise. It will be a sunrise of hope and healing in his wings. He's saying, hey, there is light coming. There is good news coming. And I think this is so important for us today because I believe that people today are walking and navigating the night. They're, they're, they're traversing through darkness and we're going through a difficult season. We have pandemic and political division and so much going on in our world today. And we are desperate for a sunrise. We're desperate for hope and, and healing. And that, that was the same in Zachariah's time. Uh, they had been waiting for 400 years and God hadn't spoken and they were, where they were hoping and looking for the Messiah, desperate for that sunrise. And then comes Zechariah. I, I like what Henry David Thoreau said. He wrote in his famous book, Walden. He said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. I believe that is an appropriate quote for Luke chapter number one because the people in Zechariah's day, they were living lives of quiet desperation walking in darkness, but thank God that Zachariah didn't keep the song in his heart, that, that he uh, started to sing and started to declare that this is good news and we have reasons to rejoice today. Now, to give us a little bit of context before we look at the actual lyrics of Zachariah's song, I think it would be helpful for us to understand why he wrote the song. Would that be helpful? Zachariah was a priest uh, early uh, in, this, in this first century, and uh, you might think, well, man, he must have had a position of prominence to be a priest, but not necessarily because in this time in Israel, there were upwards of 20,000 priests. And Zechariah was not a main priest at the temple in Jerusalem. He was kind of out in a small town city, but he was faithfully serving the Lord, uh, performing his duties as a priest. He was married to his wife, Elizabeth, and they were going through a great season of difficulty because Zachariah and Elizabeth, they wanted to have a baby. They wanted to give uh, birth to a child, and she could not do that. They were barren, and so they were going through a dark time, a, a difficulty. Uh, they uh, undoubtedly felt the pressure of having children, and everyone else around them was having children, and they could not. But you know what they did in that season of difficulty and devastation of not being able to have a child? They kept on serving the Lord. They just kept on showing up. 
And I believe one of the greatest things that you can do if you're going through a difficult season, if you're walking through brokenness, if you're walking through barrenness, one of the greatest things that you can do is to keep on showing up, is to keep on serving the Lord, because that's what Zechariah did. And because he kept on serving the Lord, and because he kept on showing up, lo and behold, an angel showed up to him. And this was the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel showed up, and he had quite the announcement for Zechariah. He says, you are going to have a child, and not just any child, you are going to give uh, birth to uh, John the baptizer, who would be the forerunner, the one that would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. This was a big announcement for Zechariah to hear. And you know how Zechariah responded to this announcement? He said, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. He's like, there's no way. Uh, Zachariah, at this point in his life, he was old. Uh, he, he said, I'm, I'm way past my uh, years of being able to have a child. This is just not, not going to happen. He's like, I'm already in retirement. I'm collecting Social Security. Like, this is just, like, I, this is past my, my time. And so he, he doubted. He responded with doubt. And because he responded with doubt, the angel said, okay, you're going to be silenced for nine months. And so for nine months, uh, Zachariah was unable to speak. And so now you have... Zachariah and Elizabeth, and she uh, does uh, uh, get pregnant. She is uh, going to have a child, and now Zachariah cannot speak. How many of you have ever experienced in a relationship the silent treatment? Anybody like that? All right. How many of you have never experienced the silent treatment? Okay, a lot of you didn't vote. That tells me you've experienced the silent treatment. And uh, Elizabeth had the silent treatment for nine months, okay? Uh, Zachariah, she won every single argument in that nine months. Zachariah couldn't speak. And so he was uh, going through this season. He couldn't speak, but I believe that God was working in his heart because during that nine months, Zechariah, although this was a rebuke, it was a rebuke because he didn't have faith. But in this nine months, Zechariah had an opportunity to get closer to God, to consider the words of the angel, to consider the words of scripture, to really contemplate that he was going to have a child that would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He used this darkness and he used this time as an opportunity to get closer to God. And I love how God works in that aspect, that God can take a rebuke and turn it into a reward for those that keep on walking by faith. Maybe today you're struggling with a, with a past decision that you made, maybe a past failure. Maybe you're struggling with the scars of a past sin. And I just believe that God can take the marks of sin and turn them into a memorial of grace. Because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And this is the good news of the gospel message. And so after nine months, they gave birth to John, John the baptizer. He would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And when John uh, is born, then Zechariah is able to speak. And he'd been holding a lot in for nine months. And so he was ready to speak. He was ready to sing. And it's in that moment that he wrote this original Christmas song. And this song was a glimmer of hope. It was a spark of light. Remember, they were going through a time of darkness, desperate for that sunrise. And Zechariah writes this song, and it's a song of rejoicing. It's a song of hope. It's a song of joy. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at these verses this morning and give us four reasons that we have to rejoice. Would that be okay today? We can find a whole lot of reasons to complain today, right? We can find a whole lot of reasons to uh, complain and to be negative. But I want us to see today four reasons that we can rejoice from this Christmas song. Number one is this, if you want to take notes. Number one, God sees us in our struggle. I'm thankful that God sees us in the midst of our struggle. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 68. Everybody with me? He says, blessed be the Lord God. Uh, this song has been called the Benedictus because in the Latin translation, that's what this means, the blessing, uh, the, the blessing. Uh, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited 
and redeemed his people. Now, I want to zero in on those two words just for a moment, visited and redeemed. Now, when we read the word visited, uh, we might just think kind of of a short arrival, a short visit, and, and uh, kind of that's the sum of the experience. But in the Greek language, it gives a little bit more light to the word and kind of gives us a little bit more insight as to what Zechariah meant when he says God has visited us. The Greek word is from the noun that we get in the Greek language, episkopo. And what it means is a bishop or an overseer. This is what uh, Jesus is described as for you and for me in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse number 25. The Bible says this, For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop. The same word there for bishop, episcopo, episkopos, is the same word therefore visited in Luke's gospel. So he returned unto the shepherd and a bishop over your souls. And so in other words... That Jesus, as a loving father, is watching over us. That, that he's an overseer, that he loves us, and his eye is on us. If you look up the definition for the word visited uh, in a, a Greek dictionary, this is the actual definition. To look upon in order to help or to benefit. All right? To look upon in order to help or benefit. And that means that God, as a loving father, is looking at us not to punish us, but to actually protect us and to help us. And he sees what's going on in your life and in your situation. Now, I don't know about you, but this is comforting uh, for me to read, that God uh, sees us in our struggle. Uh, Katie and I, we have three young children, and uh, we love our kids, and we love uh, having so much fun with them, but we have to always keep an eye on them because they might kind of uh, get into something that they shouldn't be in, and we want to make sure that, they are, are, uh, that they're behaving and that they're protected. And we're especially concerned whenever they're around a swimming pool. And how many of you, have, uh, how many of you parents have young children? Anybody like that? And so you know that whenever your, parent, whenever your children are around a swimming pool, you pay extra close attention, right? You want to make sure that they're safe and, and uh, uh, that they're going to be okay. And I remember a couple years ago, we were at a swimming pool, and uh, our oldest daughter, Liv, was just learning how to swim, and she was kind of in the shallow end. Uh, but she drifted out into uh, the deep end, and thankfully, Katie, with her motherly vision, saw that. And she saw uh, Liv drift out into the deep end, and Liv went under, and she started to drown for a moment. Her hands were kind of flailing, and, and Katie jumped up, and she ran over there, jumped in the pool, shoes on and everything, grabbed Liv and pulled her back up and saved her. And it was a beautiful moment. Yes, yeah, she's a hero. What she did not save was her iPhone 10 that was in her back pocket. And uh, we tried every trick in the book, the rice trick. Nothing worked, okay? So moment of silence for Katie's iPhone 10. We lost it that day. But I'm thankful that in Liv's moment of struggle that Katie was able to see that. She was watching over her. Hey, this morning you might have come to church. You might have walked through these doors and you feel like nobody understands your situation. You might feel unloved. You might feel overlooked. You might feel unwanted. But I want you to know that God loves you. He sees you. And if his eye is on the sparrow, then certainly it's on your life and your situation today. He has visited his people. He loves us. He sees us in our struggle. Not only did Zechariah burst out in praise and he says, God has visited us, but then he says, redeemed us. Now, the word redeemed is a beautiful word. Uh, the, the, the word redemption is a beautiful theological word that we love uh, to talk about, redemption. But in the first century, redemption was not so much a theological word as it was an economic and transactional word. Because in the Roman Empire, there were upwards of 60 million slaves during this time. And if you wanted to purchase a slave's freedom, you had to pay a certain price. And that price was called the redemption fee. 
And so if you wanted to set someone free, you had to pay the redemption price. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us through salvation. He has set us free. He has paid the price for your sin and for my sin. And by the way, that's what Christmas is all about. That not only does God watch over us and he sees us in our struggle, but he has come to set us free. And he doesn't just set us free from uh, the government or set us free just to kind of do whatever we want. No, he has set us free from our sin, set us free from the past, set us free from the bondage of a religious works-based system. He set us free to live a life of godliness for his glory. And so this is good news. We have reason to rejoice today that God sees us in our struggle. Okay, here's the second thought today. Not only does God see us in our struggle, but number two is this. God's strength is available. God's strength is available. Now, I don't know about you, but this is encouraging because December is a busy month and you've probably already been invited to 17 holiday parties and you got a full schedule and all kinds of things going on and work is going to be crazy and sometimes it can be overwhelming and exhausting. And man, I don't know if I can do it all. I don't know if I have it in me. I'm overwhelmed. But there's good news because God's strength is available and we can rely on him. And I want you to see how Zachariah sings it here in verse number 69. He says this. And hath raised up in horn of salvation. Now, this is an interesting phrase, this horn of salvation. If you read in the Bible, you will find this phrase uh, repeated throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. The idea is an image or a metaphor for strength. The horn of salvation, speaking of the horns of an animal, is a symbol of strength, uh, specifically like an ox or a buffalo. That's why we might have in English the expression, someone as strong as an ox, right? And so it's a symbol of strength, the animal horns. I think we have a picture this morning. This is an African buffalo. And uh, the African buffalo is considered one of the strongest animals in, in the world. And I love how National Geographic describes this animal. This is, this is the description of the African buffalo. A temperamental take to anything that bothers it. And so if you get in its way or you irritate this, you're, you're in big trouble, right? A temperamental tank to anything that bothers it. it it's, its horns are a sign of strength. And so when Zechariah says that we can praise the Lord for the horn of salvation, what he is saying is our God is mighty to save. And no matter what you're going through today, no matter what temptation you're facing, no matter what sin you're battling, no matter what relationship you're struggling with, I just want you to know that our God is greater. And it might seem impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. And not only is he strong, he is strong on our behalf. That his strength is available for us. That's why the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, verse number 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. In other words, he's watching over us as an overseer, as a bishop. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. He sees us in our struggle. Why? To show himself strong on our behalf. To show himself strong. You know why so often we are not experiencing God's strength? Because we are too busy exercising our strength. It's hard to tap into God's strength when we're trying to carry it all on our own. And man, I can do this and I can figure this out and there's a problem, I'm gonna solve it rather than going to God and relying on his strength. Paul Tripp, he put it this way. He said, remember, it is not in your weakness that will get in the way of God working through you, but your delusions of strength. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Point to his strength by being willing to admit your weakness. And if you feel like today, man, I just don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have this tough conversation. I don't know if I'm going to make it through December. And if you feel weak today, the good news is, is you are a candidate for God's grace. And his grace is sufficient. And in our weakness, he can be glorified and deliver his strength. And so uh, his strength is available for us. And then at the end of verse number 69, he says this. 
He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In the house of his servant David. Now, this is an important phrase because this tells us who the song is about. This song, in this portion of the song, is not about uh, Zachariah's own son, John the Baptist, uh, because uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were from the tribe of Levi. And the Bible tells us that Jesus would be a Jew, that he would come from the tribe of Judah, and that he would be of the lineage of David. And so when Zechariah says that he's the servant from the house of David, what he's saying is that Jesus is the long-awaited one. He is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. And so we see uh, that Zechariah is being very careful to tell us who this song is about. It's all about Jesus. Now, notice verse number 70. Still with me? Verse 70. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. And this gives us our third reason to rejoice today. Here's why we can rejoice this season. Number three, God never gives an empty promise. He never gives an empty promise. And Zechariah just back to back to back just proves that God is keeping his word. He says that God promised that the Messiah would be from the lineage of David, and guess what? He is. And God promised uh, the Abrahamic covenant all the way back in Genesis 12 that he was going to bless Israel and that Israel was going to be a blessing through them and that the Messiah would eventually come through uh, the lineage of Abraham. And and what Zechariah is saying is everything that God said would happen, it happened. He's faithful to keep his promises. How many of you... Have ever broken a promise? Anybody like that? How many of you have ever been on the recipient end of a broken promise? I remember when I was growing up, when I was in elementary school, uh, my family would always watch the news in the evening around dinner time. The local news, it was CBS. And I remember there was a particular individual on there uh, that would always have this segment, and he was a lawyer that would come on and talk with the anchors and give this segment. His name was Mike Bogoslowski. Does anybody remember Mike Bogoslowski? Anybody? Okay. Um, I'm the only one. So uh, Mike Bogoslowski, uh, he had this, this uh, segment where he would come in and kind of offer legal advice. And I always remembered as a young child Mike Bogoslowski because he had this awesome catchphrase, and he would look real intently into the camera, and he would say, I'm Mike Bogoslowski, and I'm in your corner. And I always thought, I appreciate that. <laughs> like, I'm glad to know that someone's in my corner, right? And uh, I always thought Mike Bogoslowski was the man. And so uh, one day we were on uh, a family uh, day off and we went to Universal Studios and we walked into Universal Studios and there at a restaurant right at the entrance of Universal Studios was sitting Mike Bogoslowski. And I looked over and I was like, this is awesome. Like to me, he was like, he was the height of celebrity status is Mike Bogoslowski. And so I told my dad, we need to go over there and talk to him. And so we went over there and we started talking to Mike Bogoslowski and we hit it off. It was amazing. It was like, we had known each other for years and we were talking to each other. And then Mike Bogoslowski looked at me and my brother and my two sisters. And he says, do you guys happen to like the Los Angeles Lakers? And I was thinking, this is the best day of my life. It's like, of course I like the Lakers. And he says, you know, CBS gives us free tickets. And if I get your email, I can send you some free Laker tickets. And I was like, this is just amazing. You know, I'm smiling ear to ear. And uh, we were waiting for that email. And it's been about 20 years since that day. (laughs) We still never got an email from Mike Bogoslowski. He made us a promise. And he was not faithful to keep that promise. But aren't you thankful today? 
that when our God makes a promise, he is always faithful to keep that promise. And you can trust it and you can take it to the bank every single time. And I love that the Bible is filled with so many promises from God. Many people have tried to count them, upwards of 7,000 promises from God to man. And I just want you to know, if God made you a promise, he will keep it. And that's good news because if God promises you joy, you can experience joy. You say, you don't know my circumstance. I know that God is faithful to keep his promises. And if God promises you peace, then you can experience peace. And what Zechariah is praising the Lord for is he's saying, look at how many times God made a promise. And then that promise came to fruition. Even the promise that Zechariah and Elizabeth had to have a baby that Zechariah said, there's no way. And nine months later, guess what? Here he's holding John the baptizer. Why? Because God never breaks a promise. And so we can trust him each and every step of the way. And this leads us to our last thought today. Number four is this. We can rejoice because God never leaves us the same. He never leaves us the same. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 74. It says this, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, watch this, might serve him without fear. See, we have been saved on purpose for a purpose. Zechariah is praising the Lord and he's saying, man, God's been so good to us and he's strong and he sees us in our struggle, but he has saved us and redeemed us. Why? For a purpose so that we might now serve him because God loves us too much to leave us how we are. He loves us too much to leave us the same. He says in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, this is kind of the New Testament version of what we see in the Old Testament when God told Moses to tell Pharaoh in Exodus 7, verse 16, and thou shalt say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. See, their liberation led to service. See, God doesn't just set us free and liberate us so that we can just kind of do whatever we want. That would abuse the grace of God. The grace of God is not a license to sin. And so this liberation doesn't just lead us to do whatever we want. This liberation leads then to transformation. See, we were set free so that we might serve him, so that we might worship him. Can I tell you today that God has a purpose and a plan for your life? To serve him, to make an impact, to make a difference for his kingdom. That God has a plan and a purpose for us. He never leaves us the same. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. Everybody say changed. Changed into the same image. The gospel is all about transformation. That's why I love one of my favorite rooms in this building is if you go out this uh, door and turn right, we have our volunteer room. We call it the Dream Team Lounge. And in that room, if you look on one of the walls, we have pictures of hundreds of baptisms from people that got baptized at Rock Hill. And if I'm ever discouraged, if I'm ever having a bad day, I go in there and I look at that wall because that is what it's all about. The life transformation with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. I love hearing stories of marriages being reunited and the wayward child coming home and families being stronger because of the power of the gospel. Adrian Rogers said this, the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your life, your family, and your future. He is still in the miracle working business and his business is in the business of transformation. And there is great hope for us today because you might think, you don't know my situation, it's too far gone. My marriage is beyond repair. My relationship, I don't think it'll ever get on the right track. My kids never doubt what God can do. He's in the business of transformation. He loves us too much to leave us the same. 
And so we can praise him and rejoice over this. Then we see in verse number 76, the song has a transition, okay? It's a new verse of the song. We're almost done. Hang with me. Verse 76. And thou child, now he's looking, now, now the song gets very personal because he was talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus and his birth. Now he looks down at his own baby boy. He looks down at John. And he says, and thou child shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And you can see the heart of a father here in Zacharias. He holds his baby boy and he says, God's got big plans for you. By the way, before you were ever even born, God had a plan for your life. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. Now, now Zacharias holding his baby boy, he says, man, God's going to use you. Uh, you're going to be the forerunner of Christ. You're going to go and prepare the way and point people to Jesus. Can I tell you that the calling that John had on his life is the same calling that God has put on your life and my life to point people to Jesus. That's why we're here, to love people, to serve others, to point more people to Jesus because we really believe in a, in a heaven and a hell and we can point people to the one who can save. And his name is Jesus. And so that's what Zacharias looks down at John. And he says, man, you're gonna prepare his way, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. He says, this is why Jesus came. John, you're gonna preach this message that in Jesus, people can experience the remission of their sins. In other words, the forgiveness of their sins. I'm thankful that Jesus can forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what the sin is. If it's infidelity, if it's murder, if it's lying, if it's jealousy, whatever the sin might be, there is forgiveness that is available in Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's what John was... Uh, purpose was going to be to preach about. And then in verse number 78, everybody still with me? This is the last verse I want us to see, verse number 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. The day spring. Do you know what the word day spring means? Sunrise. And this is what Zechariah was saying. Do you remember that prophecy from Malachi 400 years ago that when the Messiah would come, that the son of righteousness would arise and there would be healing in his wings? Well, now because of the birth of Jesus Christ, that sunrise is here. And those of you that are desperate for a sunrise and you're walking in darkness, here is the glimmer of hope. I have good news for you today because Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the light shined in darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. He is the sunrise that we've been desperate for. He's the sunrise that we've been waiting for. And there is hope and healing in his wings. And this is what Christmas is all about. That Jesus came and he was born so that he could die so that you could live. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it was a dark time. And as I look out in our culture today, we can see darkness swirling all around us. We see hatred and division and turmoil and wars and rumors of wars. And we see so much going on that causes concern. But because of Jesus Christ, there is light. And no matter what the darkness might be, that darkness will never overcome the light. He's the light of the world. The Bible says this in John chapter 8, verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shalt have the light of life. I'm so thankful today that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And when we're going through a difficult season, a dark season, a devastating or discouraging season, we know that with the son of righteousness, there is hope and healing 
in his wings. And that's the message that we are declaring in this Christmas season. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.